Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 18 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 20, we're going to pick up in verse 18. We'll work our way down through the end of this chapter. As you're finding your place there, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. I'm grateful for every one of you that join us in that way this morning. And I know many of you join us that way regularly, and we're grateful for you. Also, Reach Church DeSoto and uh, the venue service meeting right down the hall. We come to 1 Samuel 20, and we, we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, Jonathan and David is a relationship, a kind of covenant of friendship uh, that the Word of God dives into in a pretty deep way. Uh, God stops here, and he, he makes us see this friendship. And, and it caused me to question, why so much time on this friendship? Why, why do we have to look into this so much? I mean, Jonathan, and I love this guy. The more I study him, the more I love this guy. But, but why stop and look so much at Jonathan? There's a lot of people, that, the word of God, there's a lot of people in the narrative here that God could have stopped, and let's take a look at them. But, but Jonathan gets a lot of attention. And, and my thought is, why, why are we stopping? Why is God causing us to focus in on this so much? And and certainly there's some principles here just related to friendship and those types of things are really good. But in my mind, it has to be bigger than that. There has to be something more than just good friends. And uh, the more and more in which I study this, I think the reason why God stops and make us look at the relationship between Jonathan and David is because the relationship, that covenantal relationship of friendship between Jonathan and David in many ways mimics the covenantal relationship that you and I know uh, with our king, King Jesus. And so God has uh, something to show us here and how we relate uh, to a king who has gone away, who was rejected uh, by the nation, and yet we remain, we remain loyal, we remain faithful. I mean, uh, you think about this, uh, David is a king who's been anointed by God. He's the Lord's anointed. The nation will reject him. Uh, the, and, and it's important for you to remember, it's something I have to remind myself as I'm going through this. It's not just Saul is gonna be the primary leader in trying to eliminate David, but it's not just Saul. Uh, Saul's got men that work for him that they also don't like David. Uh, in many ways, they don't want David to be king because that's, they're working on their own job security. I like this guy. I got a job through him. I'm not sure about this guy. And so it's not just Saul who will not like David, the nation to a large extent. Now, there'll be a remnant. We're going to see some faithful in the nation that are going to love David. But for the most part, you're going to see a nation that rejects King David. They're, they're going to try to kill him. He, he's going to depart and he'll leave but there's gonna be, be a guy back in the city and he, he knows who David is. He knows he's the Lord's anointed. He knows he's going to be king and he has to remain faithful in the midst of an adverse culture that doesn't like King David. Does that sound familiar of a king who was rejected and the, the nation killed him and he went away and there's a group of people here, faithful, loyal subjects who love King Jesus in the midst of a world that doesn't like Jesus very much. And so I think there's some pictures here that help us to understand some principles about how we relate uh, to our king, King Jesus, the greater son uh, of, of David. I also think we're, we're just in the beginnings of this, and so we'll develop this, and we're gonna have a lot of time to develop it. You're gonna know the themes of the, the sermons week in and week out, because it's gonna be very redundant. You're gonna have a man of God 
who, who God has made promises to him. God has anointed him. He will be king. Um, but it's not gonna work out the way he had probably hoped it would. Um, I don't know how David, I mean, Samuel shows up and anoints him. I have no idea how he thinks the plan's gonna work out. I, I tend to believe that he was hoping that maybe he and King Saul would have a wonderful friendship and, and King Saul would recognize him as the Lord's anointed and there would be this wonderful transition and they'd work together and the nation would be united and just be buddies and we'd all be friends and everybody would be happy. And I don't know exactly how he thought it would work out, but I can guarantee you what's happening is not how he hoped it would work. But isn't that often the way it works in our lives? That we, we know what God wants to do. Uh, we know to some extent what he's going to do. Uh, but the in-between time, we make some plans. And more often than not, I don't know about you, but it rarely goes the way I want it to go. And oftentimes, it's downright painful. And sometimes you get in the midst of it and you say, God, it looks like I'm going in the exact opposite direction of where you told me we're going to go. And you kind of get frustrated if you're not careful. And we're going to see. Read the, the beauty of this is what I've been doing is reading all the Psalms. I've been focusing on Psalm 37. But you read all the Psalms. You get to hear David's heart in the midst of these episodes. And guess what? He's pretty honest with God to say, I'm a little bit irritated, Lord, in a respectful way. Now, at the end of every Psalm, it's God, you're great. I trust in you. But he starts off pretty frustrated. This is not going according to my plans. Listen, some of you out there today, it's not going according to your plan. And God has interrupted all your plans. He just scattered them. And you're wondering what in the world is going on. David will be an encouragement to you. And more than that, I pray that you'll see the faithfulness of God is what encourages us. Uh, David, so Psalm 37, where I've just been camping out. You know when you camp out on a passage or a psalm, you start to see it everywhere? It's the danger. But in Psalm 37, probably written much later, well, we know later in David's life, but David will said, say, do not fret because of the evildoers. And don't, uh, don't be envious towards wrongdoers. Uh, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. You know what David says? Don't get too excited about the people who are being wicked and they seem to be prospering. David, I'm sure, King Saul, he is a wicked man. And he's not necessarily flourishing, but he's got a pretty good gig, right? I mean, he's king. And David's like, well, God, I'm being faithful and I'm on the run. That guy's being wicked and disobedient and yet he's still sitting on the throne and people are serving him food and he's got loyal subjects all around him. And I think David probably prayed on multiple occasions, God, just let me kill him. No, can't kill him. Please, pretty please. No, no, you can't kill him. You gotta be faithful to me. He's got a plan. But David says in Psalm 37, don't get too excited when wicked people flourish because they don't last. They'll be gone. It, it, it doesn't last. And then he says, but uh, trust in the Lord and do good. The key to David's life will be trusting the Lord, which he won't always do, by the way. He'll panic a little bit. Sometimes we panic, don't we? So trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. You just be faithful. Just be. If there's one thing we're gonna see, David, just be faithful. Be faithful. And then the part of Psalm 37 we all know. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll do what? 
He'll give you the desires of your heart. The picture is, David, you gotta find, I gotta bring you to a place where your ultimate delight is only me. Don't delight yourself in being king. That's not, that, that, that's not what we delight in. Don't delight yourself in a position. Don't delight yourself in wealth. Don't, don't delight, yourself in easy, delight yourself in me. And if all you really desire is Jesus, you'll get what you want, I promise you. And that's what David's gotta remember. When I just delight myself in Jesus, it doesn't really matter what else I don't have or do have. I've got the desire of my heart. We go on in Psalm 37, but that's not our text today, all right? So we gotta get to the word. All right, let me pray together with you and then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you. God, it is a joy, it is a privilege to come together with your people. Now, far too often we take these moments for granted, sometimes forgetting that for a large part of Christian history, people gathered under the fear of darkness and persecution. And we have brothers and sisters experiencing that very situation right now. And we pray for them. But God, let us not take this for granted, the opportunity to be with your people in your house. And we, we gather not to hear from anybody except you. We live in a world today where you can find an opinion at every turn. Everybody's got an opinion. But Lord, we come today, we don't wanna know what everybody else thinks. We, we come not to know somebody else's truth. We come to know your truth. And we seek to adjust our lives in accordance with your truth. So God, we come to the plumb line of the truth of your word and we ask you to give us teachable hearts and teachable spirits. God, I pray that you would help us to lay aside all the presumptions we have about who you are and you would instruct us by means of your word so we could better understand you and how we relate to you, how we're to respond to you. So teach us, Lord, by means of your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, look with me. Verse 18, you remember they've set up this plan. They're going to rehash it here, verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow's the new moon. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. I, I read that this morning. There's a seat missing in this room this morning. Uh, Mr. Wayne Rose would sit right there every Sunday. Today, he's with Jesus. Uh, and I missed him. I came at 11 o'clock, and I went over there, because oftentimes I'd go over there, and, and he always had a smile on his face. Can I ask you, is somebody going to miss you when you're gone? Um, I don't know. That was a, that's extra this morning. I just thought, there's somebody I missed this morning. Uh, Verse 19, when you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day, and you shall remain by the stone of Azel. I'll shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And behold, I'll send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I uh, specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, uh, get them, then come, for there is safety uh, for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are beyond you, go for the Lord has sent you away. A couple of things here that I think we need to make note of is number one, neither of, one, neither of these options. I mean, the best possible outcome is that there appears to be safety and David will go back and work for King Saul. But what do we know about King Saul? You can't trust the guy and David knows the guy's already thrown a spear at him twice. I don't know that I would wanna go back and work for that guy. Uh, so that's, that is the best possible outcome here, that I'm gonna go work for a guy who's already thrown a spear at me twice. When, when that, is in, that is your best possible outcome, you're in a bad spot. <laughs> 
You, you ever been there where, where you're praying in the midst of a situation and it doesn't matter either way it goes, it's not gonna be good. You're between a rock and a hard place. That, that's where David finds himself. Best possible outcome, I'm working for a guy that's trying to kill me. Uh, the other side of this is I'm, I'm an outlaw and I'm on the run. So neither one of these outcomes are good. No, neither way it goes, it, it, it's not good. But note in verse 22, the, the word that I circled that I think is significant is that Jonathan says to David, for the Lord, the Lord has sent you away. That stood out to me because I would have expected Jonathan to say, you go on the run because my dad has caused you to be on the run. You would expect him to blame his daddy, my sorry dad who won't believe in the evil. It's all his fault. Isn't it easy when we find ourselves in these situations to start to blame that? It's because that person's in control. If that person wasn't in control, and this wouldn't happen, and this, that guy's fault in this, we start blaming the blame game. Ultimately, listen to me, ultimately this morning, who is in control? God. What Jonathan is saying to David is a good reminder to David. David is gonna have to remember this. He need to have good, good friends who help tell us sometimes not, not what we wanna hear, but what we need to hear. What would have been easy is for Jonathan to go, man, I'm sorry, it's a really bad deal, and I don't understand God. I wish God were in control. I wish somebody, not, but he reminds David, God is in control, and what's happening in your life has been ordained by God. That, that ain't that. I'm not sure that was easy for David to hear, but he needed to hear it. And listen today, there is great security and comfort in knowing that God is sovereign over every circumstance of your life. Because in that we know we have a God who is purposeful in all things and we have a God who is ultimately and perfectly good. How do we know his goodness? Well, we can see it on the cross where his son Jesus died for us. But it is a comforting, there is no comfort. There would be nothing of comfort to David in this to hear from Jonathan. Ultimately, you know, my dad is in charge. That's not, I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear that evil's in charge. I don't want to know that my life is left to chance and chaos. I want to know God is in control. Even in the bad things, there's somebody at the wheel who's running this deal, who has a good purpose. So it may not feel good, but ultimately it will be good, won't it? Because God will use it in David's life to bring about a purpose. You might even say it this way, and God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Listen, I don't know where you're at today, how things are going. You may say, I don't feel good in this, but remember this, there's a good God behind it. And he really does. He's gonna use an awful situation in David's life, which he won't understand now, to bring about good for David. So, Lord sent you away, verse 23, ask for the agreement which you and I have spoken. Behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Uh, God will hold us true to this David. He's between us. Verse 24, so David hid in the, in the field. When the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. Verse 25, the king sat on his seat as usual. Uh, the seat by the wall. 
then Jonathan rose up and Abner sat down by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. So king sat down, it's this, remember the new moon festival, it's not some worship of creation, it's not some new age deal here. In the change of the season, the new moon, they would always sacrifice to celebrate God, who God made them on every occasion. He, he made them stop and give thanks. Like you're gonna be, God made sure with the people of Israel, you're gonna be thankful at the beginning of every day, at the beginning of every week, at the, the, the change of the seasons. You're gonna stop and you're gonna celebrate my goodness and my faithfulness to you so you never forget. So this was a time of celebration and worship. It was a prescribed festival in Deuteronomy. So this is given to the people. And Saul is there and he's leading the celebration. Now, isn't that interesting? Here is a man who is walking in disobedience and sin, and yet he's still going through the motions of religious activity. Is it possible to do that? To go through the motions of religious activity, but have no real heart of obedience towards God? And what we know is God doesn't want our religious activity, he wants our heart, and it's our heart that makes the religious activity meaningful to the Lord. Here you see a man who's walking disobedience, but he still wanna check the boxes of religion. And uh, he looks out there, and David's place is empty. Verse 26, nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought it's an accident. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. So at this festival, you have to be uh, ceremonially clean in order to participate, and David's not there. And, and the assumption in his mind is that David is not here and there were many ways you could make yourself ceremonially unclean according to the law. But his mindset is David is a man who is always faithful. And if he's not here, it's because he's attempting to be true to the law of God. Do you see this? Like if, if, if The assumption is... David's reputation and his character is so good that when he's not where he's supposed to be, the assumption is it's because he's being faithful to God. Now, we know a lot of people in our lives when they're not where they're supposed to be, our thought goes, it's because they're in trouble. They're sinning. Here they go again. But Lord, help us to have a reputation like David that when we're not where we're supposed to be, the assumption of the people around us is, listen, I'll tell you this, I know much, this much about that guy. If he's not here, he's got a good reason. Um, let them not persecute us, Peter says, because we sin. In the end, there's people in workplaces and they'll be treated poorly and they'll say, well, I'm being persecuted. No, you're just a bad employee. And then you're gonna blame God for it. If they're going to persecute us, let it be for the fact that we're seeking to be faithful to the Lord. We're walking in holiness and faithfulness. That was David. You see these young men and women that are this way? That they have a heart of faithfulness. They're gonna be where they said they're gonna be. They're gonna do what they say. And when they're not there, our assumption is, I'll tell you this much, they've demonstrated enough with their reputation, their character. If they're not there, it's because they got a good reason and they're seeking to be faithful to the Lord. And those young men and women are the young men and women that you look at and say, God's gonna do something through those people. So here's David, good reputation. He's not there. Assumption is he's just ceremonially unclean. 
and therefore he can't participate. Verse 27, it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? So here's the test. Jonathan has proclaimed, David, I'll be faithful to you. I've committed, we're in a covenant relationship. The Lord is between us. I will be faithful to you. I will stand with you. Now, it's easy to make that kind of commitment when you're uh, alone, uh, when you're in the isolation of just that relationship, or uh, when you're around a bunch of people who are in favor of you. The real test is will you be faithful when you stand in the midst of people who will kill you for your faithfulness? So here's the real test. You talk a big game. This is, you remember Peter, Peter, you're gonna betray me. Jesus, these other losers, I can see them doing that. Not me. Not me. I, I would never do that. I am faithful. And then he curses God to such an extent that the people say, you're right, you couldn't have been one of his guys because his guys would never talk like that. In the presence of a little servant girl, he's gonna fade. This, is that, this is an issue for all of us. That we can say, boy, we love Jesus. We can be here in church. I love Jesus. We're with our Christian friends. I love Jesus. But then we find ourselves in the workplace. We want to be liked. Uh, we don't want anybody mad at us. And all of a sudden, we start camouflaging our Christianity. And we start to say, it feels a little better just to blend in with the group. Our teenagers today, is that an issue? Come to church in a world, listen, there's a world out there for our students that is against them in a big way. And they come to church, they get encouraged, I love Jesus. But the real test is they get in that school system. They get with their buddies. And uh, they want people to like them, just like all of us, right? And it's real easy to start camouflaging. The one thing that you see about scripture is, is there's no, we, we kind of compartmentalize the secular and the sacred. I've got the, the sacred over here at church and in my discipleship group, but when I'm over here, that's a different deal. The Bible, it calls this integrity. See, an, integrity is the integration of the secular with the sacred, that there's no boundaries. It all melds together. And who we are on Sunday is the same person we are on Monday morning. So here's the test. Is Jonathan gonna stand with him when his dad's standing there who could potentially kill him? Verse 28, then Jonathan answered Saul, uh, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem for he said, please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now if I found favor in your sight, please let me uh, get away that I may see my brothers for this reason he has not come to the king's table. Jonathan's gonna stand. Uh, he's going to be loyal uh, to his friendship uh, that he has made with David. Verse 30, how will Saul respond? Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Now, the two commentaries said about this, two commentaries said about this, that if you translate this literally, from the Hebrew. In fact, one of them attempted to give you 
uh, to give a, a very literal translation of what Saul says here. And I can tell you, it is so profane that I can't use it in this setting. I couldn't read it to you. Um, so when we translate this into English, it's almost like the translator said, so we gotta soften this a little bit because this, this kind of language is not the kind of language you speak. There's no way for us to fully grasp the depth of what he says here and how much it hurt Jonathan. He essentially tells Jonathan in this, uh, you're an illegitimate son. You're not my son. Uh, says you're not my son. And in many ways, he says, uh, and this is soft, but you're an embarrassment to your mom. And then, if that all, all that weren't enough, in the way in which the language he uses here, he says something very vile about Jonathan's mom. Now, you, you wanna hurt a young man deeply? Have his father tell him, you're not my son, I disown you. Then tell him, you really wanna hurt him, tell him you're an embarrassment to your mother and you really wanna hurt him, you say something vile about his mama. Jonathan is hurt deeply. The spear, the way I thought about it, the spear that he throws at Jonathan is nothing in comparison to these words that he speaks here. The picture here is Listen, when you stand loyal to the Lord's anointed, you may have to sacrifice some relationships that are very dear to your heart. And uh, Jesus made it plain when we follow him. Not everybody's gonna make the journey with us. And some people, in fact, are going to hate us. And the worst of it will be when your own family hates you. Verse 31, he continues, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now, therefore, therefore now send and bring him to me for he must surely die. Number one, he says to David, or to, to Jonathan, if David lives, you don't have a kingdom. If David lives, if you stay faithful to him, you are destroying your future. I wonder how many times a son or a daughter has gone home to their parents and told them, I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I am devoting my life to him. And in fact, I think God is calling me to spend my life on the mission field. To which a parent might respond, that's the dumbest decision you could ever make. You're throwing away your future. And that is essentially what Saul is saying to Jonathan. You're throwing away any hopes of success. We put you through your doctoral king program and now you're gonna waste all that tuition following this loser 
and you'll never have anything. And yet what we've already seen is that Jonathan has made it clear, I'm willing to lose everything, including my kingdom, in order that I might gain loyalty to the Lord's anointed. Well, you will not find a more clear picture in the Old Testament of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, verse 32, but Jonathan answered, saw his father and said to him, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Now, Jonathan doesn't just stop there. It would have been easy if, if, if I had been Jonathan just to walk out anger, frustration. He defends David. He's going to testify. He's going to be a witness to say, listen, dad, you may want to kill him, but he is the delight of the nation. He has brought about salvation and victory over the Philistines. He's innocent, and you want to kill him. Is there, is there, by the way, is there a world of people out there that we testify that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and, and he's a great king, and he laid down his life for the salvation of our souls, and he's the only means of victory, and blessing comes through this, the, the, only through Jesus, and the world say, he is evil, and the greatest good we could do to our culture, is there are people out there that say the greatest good we could ever do to our culture is get rid of Jesus altogether. And not only get rid of Jesus, but all these people who follow him, our culture would be much better if we could just rid ourselves of all these Christians. It happened in, in the days of the Romans with King Nero. I'll tell you what's wrong. King Nero's, I'll tell you what's wrong with Rome is Jesus and all these dumb Christians that are messing up our lives. Saul has officially gone mad, and it's David or Jonathan who will stand up on David's behalf. Verse 33, then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down, so Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. You think he knew at that point? Sometimes the word of God understates things. It's pretty clear now. He not only threw a spear at David, now he's chunking them at me, and I'm his son. Verse 34, then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. So as you can imagine, Jonathan is, is angry. Nothing wrong with anger. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. But Jonathan has said, if you don't like David, then you don't like me. Is that a good word for us as believers in the world we live? If you don't like Jesus, if you don't like my king, then you don't like me either. And I'm not gonna eat with you. Uh, we're gonna divide over this issue. Uh, and he's grieved over David being dishonored. David in Jonathan, he's the Lord's anointed. This guy laid down his life for the salvation of this nation and I love him, and now people are calling him evil and profaning him, and I'm mad and grieved over it. You ever been in a situation where you heard somebody speak about Jesus, profane his name, and you know he's your king, and you love him more than you love anything or anyone else in this world, and you hear somebody profaning his name, and there's an anger that wells up in your stomach, and you're grieved over it? Well, that's Jonathan right here. Verse 35, now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David 
A little lad was with him. He said to his lad, run, find the arrows which I'm about to shoot. As the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. The lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot. Jonathan called after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, hurry, be quick, do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go, bring them to the city. So he sends away the lad with his weapons, with his armor. I think there's a picture here that he wants David to know we're about to meet back up again and I'm not coming as your enemy. Regardless of how things gone, I'm your friend. I ain't got any weapons on me. So he sends him away with the weapons. Verse 41, when the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. And there's a powerful picture here. And I, again, I don't wanna go too far, but I think there is a picture here of the covenantal relationship that exists between us and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The picture of the church and our Savior, our King Jesus, and how we respond to him and how he thinks about us. And what sticks out to me is, is the honor and the affection that David demonstrates to Jonathan as the Lord's anointed. He, he bows down three times and wept and kissed. There's, a, there's a, an affection here, a love. The, the thought that went through my mind in, in John 13, uh, Jesus it says, it's, it's the, the, the last Passover, the first Lord's Supper, John 13. And if you want, this kind of is the, the last supper for Jonathan and David. But at the last supper, you remember, it says of Jesus, at the beginning of John 13, talking in reference to his disciples, he loved them to the very end. Now, it says we loved them to the very end. It's not talking about chronologically, he loved them to the end of his life. When it says he loved them to the end, it means he loved them to the fullest extent you could possibly love them. And he loved them knowing that he was about to send the disciples out back into the world as sheep amongst wolves. And Jesus, who is God and knows everything, what else did he know about the disciples who he was very soon to depart them? What did he know was going to happen to them? They're all gonna die. And why would they die? they would die faithful to Jesus. And you remember it says, and I'd never thought about this until this, and I was saying this, and, and, but you remember what Jesus does in that moment? He loved them to the fullest. In fact, it says before that, knowing all the Father had given to him. He loved them to the fullest, and you remember what he does? Next thing, he takes off his seamless robe. He wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets on his knees and he washes their feet. Now, I had never thought about this. And if I may be way off, so if I am, God, let this just go by the way. But the thought that went through my mind, because I've always seen that as a picture of Christ. And I, it is. Don't miss me. It is a picture of Christ's humility. It's a picture of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's a picture of Christ in his incarnation and death. But I never thought about this. I think in some ways... It's Jesus recognizing these men and what they're about to endure on his behalf. And he loves them so much, he gets on his knees. And to some extent, it's his way of showing honor to these guys who are gonna be faithful to him. 
the greater, the God of all creation, showing some level of honor to these men who are gonna eventually die for him. And Jonathan here, he's right before David, and David knows. Make no mistake about it. He knows that that Jonathan, you ever have a friend that just sticks their neck out for for you? And uh, they really risk it all on the line just to stand with you. You know how meaningful that is to be in a time when you feel like you're all alone and just to have a friend comes alongside you and says, I'm with you. And I don't care what anybody thinks about me. The, The rest of the world may be against you, but I'm with you. It's powerful. David here knows Jonathan has just sacrificed everything. He's not gonna be king. His dad's probably gonna kill him. And he longs to just show him honor and affection. And he loves him. The other picture that went through my mind is you remember, bear with me, I'll get you out of here. You remember Stephen? First Christian martyr in the book of Acts. And Stephen testifies the greatness of God. He basically shares the gospel using all the Old Testament. I love the apostles. You read the book of Acts. Often they use the Old Testament to share the gospel. Because that's the scripture they had. And he uses the Old Testament to point them to Jesus and tell them to trust in Jesus. And he convicts them of their own sin and their rebellion. And you remember what they do? They pick up stones and start throwing them at him. But you remember what happens next? Stephen looks up as he's being stoned and dying. You remember? He looks up and what does he see? He looks up into heaven. What does he see? He says that he sees the Son of Man standing. Only time we see Jesus stand, he's always seated because his work is done. But on that occasion, Jesus stands. Can you imagine how meaningful that would be? In the midst of all those stones being thrown at him as he missed his eye, you know what I think the only thing Stephen saw and heard was Jesus standing. I love you. Good job. Way to go, Stephen. And right here, you see in this covenantal relationship, David showing honor and affection to a man he knows is going to lay down his life or already has to a large extent in faithfulness to to him. They wept together. David wept all the more. He knows what's going to occur. Verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan, note that first part. Jonathan said to David, go in safety. Some of your translations may say go in peace. Go in safety. Now, think about this. David is an outlaw. He will be on the run. He's gonna have to go to Gath. You remember Gath is, uh, who came from Gath? We're, I can't do it. We don't got time. Next week's gonna be fun. You gotta be here, all right? He's on the run. This guy is going to have a miserable experience in every day he thinks he can die. And his good buddy looks at him and says, hey, brother, brother, good day. Hey, go in safety. All right, sounds good. How in the world can Jonathan say to him, go in safety? Because Jonathan is reminding David, you are secure in the Lord. 
Jonathan knows that David is going to be king. I believe at this moment, Jonathan knows it more deeply than David does. God's going to make you king. I am your friend. Rest in that security. Listen to me. In this world, you can look for security in everything. But I'm telling you, nothing in this world will bring you security. Yeah, well, boy, I got a big bank account. It could all be gone tomorrow. We keep going the right direction. It will be gone tomorrow. Honestly, it ain't that funny to me. It could all be gone. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You say, well, I'm trusted in my health. I run every day. Listen, you can run every day. You go to the gym every day. You know, Paul told Timothy, physical gain profit a man little. He's not saying don't work out. But what he's saying is, don't trust in it. The real gain is spiritual gain. You could do all the right things physically and still follow her dead tomorrow. Whatever else you're looking for security, listen to me, there's only one thing secure in this world and it is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we go into a world where we're hated, right? And as we leave today, you know what we'll say to each other? Go in peace. And it don't feel real peaceful, does it? Go in safety. It doesn't feel real safe. You know where we find safety? In the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our security. We'll be fine. We know how it ends. The last part of this is Jonathan goes back into the city. He goes back in the city. He leaves. David's going to depart. He's going to leave the nation. He's going to be exiled. But Jonathan's got to go back. You remember in Acts uh, chapter 1, this was the picture in my mind. Jesus ascends to the Father. He leaves. Did the disciples think of the ascension as a good thing? Yeah, I really like to keep him here. But he ascends. He has to leave. And you remember what the disciples do? He ascends into heaven. What are they doing? That's pretty cool. And you remember the angels come to the disciples and say, you knuckleheads, stop looking in the sky. He's coming back in the same way in which he left. Get to work. Get busy. You've got a job to do. Folks, that's us. Christ has gone away. He's preparing a place for us, amen? If he's gone away to prepare a place for us, guess what? He's going to come again. That where he is, we may be also. He is the king. David's the king. He's going to establish himself as king. Jesus is king. One day he's coming back and he will establish himself on this earth as king. But from this day to that, we go back to the city. Wouldn't you love every now and then just to stay at church all week? Uh, That's what David, uh, Psalm 20 said, one thing I've asked the Lord and I shall surely speak that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to meditate and behold his beauty. David said, I just want to stay in the tabernacle all day. 
But David couldn't. He had to go back out, and so do we. Just like Jonathan, we go out into the city. And listen, that city doesn't like Jesus very much. But just like Jonathan, we have to stand and testify and be Christ's witnesses, even when it's unpopular and even when it costs us our life, because we know Jesus is king. And we know when he returns, there'll be a great reward. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray for those who may not know you this morning. Lord, um, you opened the eyes of Jonathan to the reality of your anointed David. And for those of us that do know you as our personal Lord and Savior today, uh, it wasn't some uh, one critical piece of evidence that led us to faith, even though we do have evidence. But it wasn't something we thought our way into. It was something that you caused, you worked, you opened our eyes. You caused us to be born again. You peeled back the blinders, and through the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, we saw Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. We trusted in him. God, I, I pray, I think, I believe, I'm praying in faith that there's somebody here today, I, somebody watching online, that right now you're opening their eyes. You're doing, you're, you're, you're beginning that great work that Paul talks about in, in Philippians 1.6 and you're showing them the glory of Jesus. And you're blinding them like you did with Saul on the road to Damascus who would become Paul. And you're humbling them in light of your glory. And I pray that they would be drawn and they would lay everything at your feet. Just like Jonathan towards David, they'd lay it all down. And they would repent of their sins and trust in you and submit to you as Lord. God, for those of us that do know you, God, help us to be faithful in a world that is so adverse to the things of Christ. More and more in our nation, it's gonna cost us if we wanna stand upon your word. But I pray that we would never back down. Whatever they wanna throw at us, whatever they wanna do, we will stand with King Jesus. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.